Talking Books on News Talk 106 to 108. cannot even imagine. I mean, I tried to imagine in the book what life would be like without Wall Street. We would literally be living back in the Middle Ages. We would all be uh, uh, living uh, in our small uh, villages, not ever venturing far afield from them, always worried and wondering for our own safety and wondering and worrying about where our next meal was going to come from. I mean, Think about how different our lives are from the people who lived in the Middle Ages, where you don't have to worry uh, about where your next meal is coming from, by and large. Uh, You know, you have access to, uh, by and large, a good paying job or good job prospects. Not, Not everyone and not everybody, and not everything. I mean, it's not a perfect system, uh, but it has created vast amounts of wealth. It's created vast amounts of opportunity. It's created vast amounts of meaningful, high-paying jobs. And it's given us uh, a much better uh, lifestyle than uh, our brethren had in the first, you know, 5,000 years of human existence. Is Wall Street the ultimate symbol of American capitalism? Hello, how are you? And you're very welcome to Talking Books. I'm Susan Cahill. It's lovely to have your company this evening. Well, on tonight's show, we're going to go deep inside the complex world of Wall Street and ask, is everything connected? With the New York Times bestselling author, William Cohen, whose latest book, Why Wall Street Matters, has just been published by Alan Lane, where Cohen argues... The fix for Wall Street should be directed at its compensation system, not the functioning of Wall Street itself. Fix the compensation system, make bankers, traders and executives fear for their art collections, their co-ops, their homes in the Hamptons, and sit back and watch how quickly it works to change people's bad behaviour. One of the reasons people hate Wall Street is its opacity. It breeds distrust for obvious reasons. So with that in mind, what does Wall Street do right, and what does it do wrong? Hi, it's uh, uh, William D. Cohen. I'm the author of Why Wall Street Matters. I am also a special correspondent at Vanity Fair. I am the author of uh, four other best-selling books, three about Wall Street, uh, one about the uh, Duke lacrosse scandal in North Carolina, and I am a former, close to 20 years, uh, investment banker on Wall Street, where I worked for uh, Lazard Frere, Merrill Lynch, and J.P. Morgan Chase. Bill, really well done on the book. It's such a curious and expansive read, and I think you've really you set out your argument very well, and it's very well executed. I might throw you a big, wide-open question to kick things off and make sure we can see where we go with things. It's a quote I'm going to use that you do use in the book. It's from the great um, um, entrepreneur Warren Buffett, who once said that people don't get smarter about things that get as basic as greed. Do you agree with that? Has he got a point? Yeah, I, I think what he's really talking about is, is human nature. And uh, human nature, kind of what we refer to as human nature, or I guess the way people behave uh, when nobody else is really looking or paying attention and, and how they behave collectively is not something you can you know, mandate away. It's not something you can legislate away. It's not something really, frankly, you hope 
can change. I mean, you can hope it changes, but it really doesn't. And so I think what he's saying is, look, I've been around a long time. I've watched people uh, act in sort of their natural habitat. And, you know, when it comes to, you know, his specialty, which is, you know, the stock market or, or investing, you know, when it comes to greed, people behave in a certain uniform way and they have forever and ever. I mean, one of the points I make in the book is that there were financial crises long before there was a Wall Street. Uh, There's always been uh, instances where uh, people uh, indulge themselves in financial excesses and take flights of fancy and think things are, you know, they believe the world is flat, even though the world actually is not flat, but they believe it for a very long period of time and, uh, and nothing will dissuade them. Uh, so sometimes people just get things wrong. And I think one of the points that I, I make in the book and one of the things I believe strongly is that, you know, if you want to change people's behavior, and especially if you want to change people's behavior on Wall Street to make sure that they don't do bad things, you need to reward them to do the right things. And you can't reward them to do the wrong things. You have to, so uh, what we have on Wall Street now is an incentive system that still rewards people to do the wrong things, and we need to change that. And I think that's what Warren Buffett is sort of getting at in his comment about you know, uh, uh, greed. You describe Wall Street as the capital of capitalism and the nation's designated villain. I'm just wondering, do you think we've misunderstood Wall Street in some way? That we're very suspicious of Wall Street and we just don't trust it as an entity? Well, I think that's just a fact. Uh, And I think that's a fact that has been flamed and fanned by our politicians uh, on both sides of the aisle, who I think after the 2008 crisis, and, and, and not only after that. I mean, there, there are examples that, that I give throughout uh, American history where politicians love, love to lambast Wall Street and blame it for all the ills and evils that occur in, in a certain period of time. Uh, and, you know, it makes a very easy target because, you know, generally speaking, uh, it either causes or exacerbates financial crises. Again, though, there have been financial crises in, in human history long before there was a Wall Street. And then Wall Street makes an easy target because, you know, by and large, the people who work there are well off or are, you know, evidence of behavior of greed, and really no one's going to stand up uh, for them. And, and, you know, in fact, therein lies the reason I wrote this book was because even though I'd, I've worked on Wall Street for, for close to 20 years and have written books highly critical of Wall Street, highly critical of Wall Street, and revealing of the behavior that goes on there, which frankly makes them, I hope, an interesting read uh, and so fascinating. Uh, and it is a fascinating place. It's never boring. What I, I, I decided was that you know all of the you know, lambasting of Wall Street and blaming it for every possible evil that had occurred on the face of the earth since the 2008 financial crisis, uh, as many politicians uh, have done, whether it's, you know, Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren on the left to Donald Trump on the right, uh, you know, actually does everyone a disservice because uh, Wall Street, uh, what it does best, which is to provide 
capital to people who need it and want it and are willing to pay for it by taking it from people who have it and want to invest it or save it, uh, that function, is, that is an incredibly important function, and we take it for granted, and it's incredibly important to the way our world works and to providing all of the goods and services that we literally take for granted, like when you go to the supermarket and you see uh, uh, all your shelves filled to stack tie with food, you don't give it a second thought, but in fact, that would not be possible without Wall Street, and it's one thing after another. So instead of constantly denigrating it and using it as a punching bag and a whipping boy and you know try to score political points, I thought maybe the time had come, since nobody else was doing it, I thought the time had come to sort of step back and remember what it is that Wall Street's all about, what it is that it's supposed to do, what it does right and that we should celebrate, and what it does wrong that we should try to change. Bill, tell me, how would you describe prudent risk? Because a lot of people would criticise Wall Street and say that it's in short supply, and that they would see Wall Street as very much in what happens on Wall Street as very much legalised gambling. Yes, I mean, prudent risk is, you know, sort of in the eye of the beholder, and, and, and risks can seem prudent for a long time before suddenly they no longer seem prudent, which is exactly you know what happened in uh, leading up to the 2008 crisis. I mean, uh, again, getting back to the Wall Street incentive system, which rewarded bankers and traders and executives to package up mortgages that they probably knew in their heart, in their gut, were never going to be paid back, package up those mortgages and sell them off around the world as investments. Uh, you know, that seemed probably like not only a prudent risk to take at the time, but also exactly what uh, Wall Street bankers and traders were rewarded to do. So that seemed like a, a, a sensible thing to do for a long period of time. And guess what? People on Wall Street kept doing it until they could no longer do it in the summer of 2007 because there was no longer a market for them. And, and then what they did not anticipate, however, was that the mortgage-backed securities that had built up on their balance sheet that they could no longer sell uh, would turn around and essentially blow up their firms because – uh, they were used as collateral for overnight loans, and nobody wanted them as collateral for overnight loans anymore. And when these banks couldn't get their short-term financing, they basically ran out of cash. And so it's hard to say what a, an imprudent risk is. It's hard to say uh, when a risk goes from being prudent to imprudent. So I'm not trying to judge that. My view is that since that's a very hard thing to tell, a much better thing to do would be to change the incentive system, change the reward system, so that if people collectively on Wall Street start engaging in bad behavior, they know they're going to pay for it up the nose by having their full net worth on the line again. And so my view is that if you have people who are responsible on Wall Street for, you know, uh, deciding how to deploy capital or what business lines to be in or what risks to take, if all those sort of top senior people at these Wall Street firms have their full net worth on the line again like they used to when Wall Street was a series of private partnerships, then that kind of nutty behavior that results in financial crisis will be muted and minimized. You're not probably going to eliminate it altogether, but you're going to reduce the chance of it happening. And I think that one of the things that's been happening since Wall Street became a series of public companies instead of a series of private companies, and that began in 1970, as I described in the book with the IPO of DLJ, 
I think one thing that's been happening in the, in the intervening close to 50 years that we've had more financial crises and more virulent financial crises coming more often and with more force culminating in the 2008 financial crisis that affected most people around the world. But if we look at the psychology of money, Bill, and how we spend it, when, we, when it's a, another person's money, like if you're on a business trip, let's say, for example, and you go in and you'll buy yourself whatever, your smoothies and your fancy cappuccinos or whatever it is, it's all on expenses. You don't really worry too much about it. Whether it's when it's coming out of your own pocket, you look at things entirely differently. My point exactly, and what's happening on Wall Street is that since uh, you know DLJ went public in 1970, Donaldson, Lufkin, Jenrette went public in 1970, uh, you know, for good reasons, reasons that made sense for that firm at that time, and every other firm followed along. All of a sudden, instead of you know making uh, prudent bets with your own money, which is what it was when they were private partnerships, you're making being rewarded to make big bets with other people's money. So you're literally, you know. Having as much many smoothies and cappuccinos as you could possibly uh, tank up on uh, every single day, knowing that you're you know, and there's of course much more than that because you're basically rewarded to take big risks with all the uh, investors and creditors' money who invested in your firm, and 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 knowing that you know you're rewarding, getting rewarded for taking those big risks generating revenue if you can and hoping to get a big bonus at the end of the year and that's just a system of rewards and behaviors that has not served us well and that's what i'm trying to change i'm trying to get people to remember how there was a definitive break in the way people on wall street got compensated beginning in 1970 and it's had a ripple effect not only through wall street but through the economy as a whole so wall street basically does a lot of wonderful things uh, a lot of great things, and they should be celebrated. But when it comes to rewarding themselves and, and driving their behavior, their incentive system is completely bonkers and needs to be changed. Now, one of your arguments that you're pushing forward in the book is that we're stuck in or that Wall Street is stuck in neutral, that all the tight regulations that we're seeing on Wall Street and on other markets, that it has almost crippled the system and that we need to change things, that we need to redesign the system. So can you talk me through what you would see as an ideal day on Wall Street or the best performing Wall Street as you would have it? Right. I mean, I guess what, what, I, what I would say is that you, you need a, a Wall Street where people are, are rewarded not only to take the prudent risks that we've talked about, and I think the way to do that is to make sure they have their a lot of the people who work there, the people who, who are at the top who make the key decisions, not everybody, but, you know, say the top 500 people at each firm have their uh, full net worth on the line again. That, that, I think, is one thing that needs to happen, and that'll change behavior dramatically. The other thing that needs to happen is that regulators can't penalize the banks and penalize through capital charges and, and you know, over, overly zealous regulations, can't penalize the banks for uh, lending uh, money out to small and medium-sized businesses or less than investment-grade credit businesses uh, who basically create the majority of the uh, jobs in most Western countries. And so uh, it's crazy uh, what's happened since... 2010 when the Dodd-Frank uh, law was passed because banks are now penalized for making loans to less than investment grade companies and you know the big companies have no problem 
getting all the capital they need. You know, hedge funds can basically get all the capital they need. Private equity firms can get all the capital they need. The rich can always get all the capital they need. It's the people who are forming new businesses, who are trying to make those businesses grow and get those businesses to grow, that need capital to to build new plant and, and buy new equipment and to hire more people and to pay them higher wages. Those new businesses, which are, you know, vital to, are literally the backbone of, of our economy, those businesses need to get access to capital. And I think after 2010, in the wake of the financial crisis, it's harder and harder for those companies to get that capital, and I think that needs to change. Also, uh, you know, we can't just have this sort of bureaucratic morass where banks can't, you know, do what they're best at doing, which is providing that capital, you know, because there's all these regulators uh, inside the banks watching everything they do. I mean, right now, we have, in a lot of these big banks, one uh, person whose job it is to look at what the other four do all day long. And, you know, big banks uh, can probably afford that. They're making a lot of money. You know, we saw from the earnings that are just coming out this week uh, that they're as profitable as ever. But it's the small and community banks, the local banks, the community banks, the smaller banks, for whom this has become a terrible burden. And that needs to change. And even Daniel Torillo, the federal regulator who is responsible for a lot of uh, these new regulations, who's just retired, said in his retirement speech the other day that th- these burdens should come off the small, local, and community banks. And he- he's right about that. So, I mean, some of the regulations are really important and, and are really good. I, I want to emphasize that. I mean, I think what's needed here is a scalpel, not a sledgehammer. I think. Donald Trump is kind of a sledgehammer kind of guy, not a scalpel kind of guy, but uh, a lot of the things uh, that are in the new regulations are worth keeping. For instance, uh, banks should have a lot of capital. They should be required to have the capital that they're now being required to have. That should not be rolled back. Uh, They should not be able to have as much leverage in their business on their balance sheets as they'd had uh, in the crisis. And that has been rolled back, and that should be preserved. And and they also should, uh, you know, continue to uh, trade uh, derivatives, these very complicated uh, securities on, on exchanges, so that it's easy to tell their price, because one of the things that happened leading up to the financial crisis is that people could not tell the price of those securities, and various uh, margin calls and collateral calls were made against those securities that really uh, tended to be a booby trap to the whole system. So I think there's plenty that uh, exists now uh, in the wake of the financial crisis that is, uh, I think, smart regulation. Uh, There's a number of things that are not smart regulation and should be changed. And just generally speaking, we should not be uh, continuing to vilify Wall Street, because by vilifying Wall Street, which happens, frankly, every day, at least in the United States, you really are uh, hampering uh, our economy uh, and condemning it to what Larry Summers, the uh, former Harvard president and renowned economist and former Treasury Secretary and head of the National Economic Council, uh, called uh, secular stagnation, uh, condemning the U.S. economy to 2% GDP growth. And in 2016, uh, the GDP growth was 1.9%. And I know. You know, Donald Trump likes to talk about uh, increasing GDP growth to 4%, but it's a lot harder to do it than it is to say it. And the one way to do it is to take some of the sand out of the gears of this, uh, you know, uh, uh, banking system. 
Bill, I'm just wondering, you spent a lifetime working in and reporting on financial systems. Just wondering, which is the bigger problem, bigger global problem that is? Is it lack of transparency or is it greed within and through financial systems? Well, well, I think greed, greed, you know, as Warren Buffett said, is such a fundamental aspect of human nature. uh, And that's the one thing that the capitalist system capitalizes on, if you will. I mean, if people didn't think they could make a lot of money, by uh, starting new companies, investing in new companies, creating new products, uh, giving people something they didn't want, uh, they didn't know they wanted, uh, like an Apple iPhone. I mean, who knew they needed an Apple iPhone? Uh, So, I mean, that, uh, uh, you can call it greed, you could call it uh, profit-seeking, you could call it wealth creation. Uh, There are a lot of names for this basic instinct of human nature. Uh, And uh, without that, drive without that fundamental desire to see how much money you could possibly make doing something, which frankly is one of the things America is all about, like it or not. I mean, that's why uh, Apple was created. Uh, That's why Google and Facebook and all these other companies uh, uh, exist and thrive is because the people who started them and the people who work there and the people who invest in them to this day are motivated by the simple desire to make as much money as they possibly can. So I I don't think you want to do too much to change that. And even if you did try to legislate that, that's not something that can be legislated. Basic part of human nature. Transparency, on the other hand, and making sure that the risks and rewards are aligned in the right way. That's something we should spend a lot of time thinking about. Well, let me pull it another way, Bill. Do you think you can be filthy rich and live a just life also? Of course I think you can. I mean, why? Just because you're, even the adjective, the adverb that you use, filthy, I mean, implies somehow there's something dirty about it. I mean, you know, Warren Buffett is filthy rich, you could say. But, I mean, it seems to me he's lived a just and honorable life. And Bill Gates is filthy rich, uh, but I think it seems to me he's lived a just and honorable life. And absolutely, I mean, you should both aspire to create products and services that change the world and do things that change the world and make people's lives better. I mean, if you ask me, uh, you know, the iPhone, which is, you know, more than a billion people have bought iPhones, I mean, that has fundamentally changed uh, how people uh, live their lives on a daily basis, and I would say for the better. Some people would say, you know, you, you become tethered to the technology, and it's, it, you know, but on, on on the whole, if you can use it in moderation, it's an incredible piece of equipment and technology that now lives in your pocket or purse. I mean, that is unbelievably uh, important, and you know, I think the people behind that, Apple, I mean, I'm sure some of them are stinkers. And some of them are people who do things that we wouldn't be proud that they did. But by and large, I think you can absolutely live a just and honorable life. And if you, if you couldn't, I mean, if I didn't believe that you could, I mean, what's the point of, of living if you can't both do things that help people live better lives and be honorable and just yourself? So, I mean, you know, what happens is that the opportunists, the, the political opportunists who like to demagogue the issue, like Senator Elizabeth Warren, she loves nothing better than to demagogue the issue of how horrible people are who work on Wall Street. Well, I, I worked uh, on Wall Street for 17 years, and guess what? There are some people on Wall Street who I, I can't stand, and their behavior is reprehensible. 
But there are a lot more people who's, who I find admirable, uh, who work hard, who are trying to do the right thing, uh, who are interesting and intelligent and have lived just and honourable lives. And they should be celebrated. You argue that Wall Street is the ultimate evolution of the weekend farmer's market, where fresh produce is brought to a central location in the middle of a town or a city uh, to be bought or sold. Now, that sounds lovely and leafy and relaxed, and we all like our farmer's markets. It's not something that I would associate with Wall Street. Well, that's because uh, Wall Street loves to complicate what it does. Uh, But in truth, Wall Street, you know, uh, every day uh, brings you know, the fresh produce of capitalism to uh, the market, uh, which is now largely computerized. But, I mean, you know, uh, every single minute of every single day, if you want to buy a share of of GE or or, or General Motors or uh, or Virgin, you know, whatever, you you can do that. Uh, If Virgin is a public company, I can't remember. But, uh, uh, you know, uh, the fact of the matter is, it's a marketplace for capital. It's a marketplace, you know, it's not as, as romantic as going and getting a fresh head of lettuce or carrots or whatever or, or you know, or, or a fresh loaf of bread. But, frankly, uh, it's, it's the lifeblood for all of those things. You could not have any of those things without uh, going to the market for the capital to get that capital that you need, whether it's a farmer to grow his crops or a baker to bake the bread, or uh, Apple to, you know, invest in new products. I cannot even imagine, I mean, I tried to imagine in the book what life would be like without Wall Street. We would literally be living back in the Middle Ages. We would all be uh, uh, living uh, in our small uh, villages, not ever venturing far afield from them, always worried and wondering for our own safety and wondering and worrying about where our next meal was going to come from. I mean, think about how different our lives are from the people who lived in the Middle Ages, where you don't have to worry uh, about where your next meal is coming from, by and large. Uh, You know, you have access to, uh, by and large, a good paying job or good job prospects. Not not everyone and not everybody and not everything. I mean, it's not a perfect system, uh, but it has created vast amounts of wealth. It's created vast amounts of opportunity. It's created vast amounts of meaningful, high-paying jobs. And it's given us uh, a much better uh, lifestyle than uh, our brethren had in the first, you know, 5,000 years of human existence. You make a great argument on what Wall Street does right in the book. But I'm just wondering, a lot of people would say that Wall Street is rigged to benefit the rich and the super rich in America. So what do you think it does wrong? Well, I, 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 you know, I've written three other books detailing, uh, and much longer books, I might add, uh, this book's about 170 pages or so. Uh, my other books, uh, three books on Wall Street, are about 600 pages each. So that's 1,800 pages of basically uh, detailing all the crazy things that Wall Street does that, that are wrong, and 175 pages or whatever on, on trying to remind people of the things that, that it does right. I mean, I am all about, you know, sort of calling things what they are. And calling Wall Street out when it does things wrong, and clearly leading up to the financial crisis, it did a lot of things wrong, and 
two of my three books are about that, you know, but we've completely lost sight of the very vital things that Wall Street uh, does right. And I, you know, I, I can't even believe that I'm sort of the one who's writing this. I feel like Nixon opening China or something. I mean, it just seems that, you know, Wall Street should be able in some way to remind people itself. But it's it's so fearful and so timid and so afraid to, you know, uh, anybody on Wall Street is so afraid to stick their head up or afraid they're going to get smashed down by the media or a regulator that they just remain silent. And so uh, even though I've been a harsh critic of Wall Street, I, I felt that it, it fell to me because no one else was doing it to remind people of the things that Wall Street uh, does right. I mean, so uh, there are plenty of things that Wall Street uh, does wrong. And I think, frankly, it, it centers around, not to be a broken record, but it centers around this incentive system, which is uh, uh, vitally flawed, remains flawed. I think, frankly, to give Mark Carney at the Bank of England uh, credit, uh, he at least is sort of talking about the compensation system and the incentive system and the reward system in finance and trying to do something about it. But basically, in the United States, nobody's talking about that. And I think that is uh, the fundamental problem uh, on Wall Street. And a lot can be solved if we change that. And if I were Donald Trump, the you know, sets himself up to be the dealmaker-in-chief, I would insist that a grand bargain be uh, constructed between Wall Street and Washington. Uh, if you want some of these regulatory reforms uh, stripped away and you want some regulatory relief, in exchange for that, they, sh- they should be required to change their compensation system.
on News Talk 106 to 108. And you're very welcome back to Talking Books. I'm Susan Cahill. It's great to have your company this evening. Well, on tonight's show, I'm unravelling the turbulent world of Wall Street with writer and journalist W.D. Cohen, whose best-selling books include The Price of Silence, Money and Power, House of Cards and The Last Tycoons. In Why Wall Street Matters, William D. Cohen writes, Remembering the past is important because the American people have been poor stewards of the details of their collective financial history. Bill goes on to ask, Is Wall Street simply an emotional idea? I asked Bill about the psychology of financial systems and whether banking is the ultimate confidence game. You know, our whole financial system depends on faith and trust. It's so bizarre if you think about it. I mean, so much, it's so big and so powerful and so much wealth exists there. Uh, but, but if people didn't, uh, weren't willing to trust the fact that when they put their hard-earned cash into a bank, uh, that it's going to be there when they want it, uh, then the whole system falls apart. And we saw that happen in 1929 when people were standing in lines in panic to try to get their money out of the bank because when they uh, went to get it, they feared that it wasn't going to be there. And in many cases, at many of those banks, it wasn't there. As a result of that uh, came the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation in the 1930s, which basically uh, gar- has now come to the, to the point where it guarantees $250,000 for each individual bank account. Uh, and so what we saw in 2008 was not a panic of individual uh, bank depositors. It was a panic of institutional investors who feared that they could not get their money out of the investment banks that they had essentially invested in. And, and, and that's why they panicked and pulled, pulled their money out. But uh, the, the point is that the idea of banking uh, and fractional banking, uh, which is what this whole system is, because obviously what happens when you put your money into a bank, uh, the bank then uses it to make the loan. The money is actually never there. Your money that you put into the bank is actually never there. It's only there when you go to the bank and try to get it out because not everybody else is trying to get it out. If everybody else tried to get out their money that they put in the bank at the same time, they would find that it wasn't there and the FDIC insurance would have to kick in. Uh, that's the magic, the alchemy of, of banking. It's incredible if you think about it. It's absolutely mind-blowing. And that's just one example. I mean, look at credit cards. Credit cards is a basically a free, unsecured line of credit in your pocket. You can use it for whatever you want. You don't have to go to the bank to get approval for it. The credit card is there. The only, the only thing you have to do is agree to pay the money back every month. And you don't even have to do that. All you have to do is pay the high interest rate on the money that you, you that you borrow. I mean, and the thought the thought that in America you know, like 150 million people have credit cards. That's a free, unsecured line of credit. It's incredible. Or or getting a mortgage on your house or a loan for your car. These are all really uh, magic acts, little bits of alchemy that occur every day without anybody even thinking about it. And that doesn't mean everybody gets a credit card. That doesn't mean everybody gets uh, a mortgage. That doesn't mean everybody gets a car loan. But what I call the democratization of capital has occurred basically in the last 30 or 40 years. And it's an extraordinary and beautiful thing to be able to have capital 
have access to capital to to buy the things that you feel that you need or that you want. But Bill, the democratisation of capital has also screwed people over. Companies have collapsed mass unemployment. We've seen whole areas of different regions in America and all over Europe. Look at uh, France, look at Spain and also here in Ireland. We've seen um, massive devastation because of that access to capital. And I'm just wondering, within all of that, do you think we learn anything? Because if you're when you walk through Wall Street or meet with all the, you know, the big banks and um, equity firms and so on, I'm just wondering, do any of those analysts or those stockbrokers or whoever they are, I'm wondering have they learned much from whether it's the 2008 crisis or going back from other crises? People, uh, again, people learn a change their behavior only when what they're rewarded to do changes. People are pretty simple. They do what they're rewarded to do. Uh, so take the case of Ireland. Uh, you know, this incredible, you know, Celtic tiger was created uh, and then it all uh, fell apart. And, and why did it fall apart? Because the reward system, the people who were uh, loaning out money at the banks, uh, uh, either there was they, they were rewarded to do uh, the wrong behavior, uh, their own behavior was reprehensible, and they uh, you know, made uh, loans that they shouldn't have made to people who should never have gotten them because they were all you know, hoping to get uh, a big bonus. That's what happened all across America. Uh, that's what happened uh, in Ireland and in Iceland and, and, and all across Europe. You know, and now, you know, Ireland is starting to recover again. And people are, are actually sort of probably getting excited again that uh, the uh, Irish economy is on its way again and doing uh, good things uh, again. Uh, but the question is, the problem across all of these Western uh, nations is that uh, the banking system, which is basically, you know, private, and has a reward system that has not changed. Uh, a lot has changed uh, since the 2008 financial crisis, but one of the things that has not changed is what bankers and you know, financiers get rewarded to do on a daily basis and, and the kind of accountability that they have when things go wrong. And I'm sorry, if you don't change what people get rewarded to do, you're not going to change their behavior. So you ask me if people learn are people's behavior going to change? Well, the answer is, unfortunately, no, because uh, what they get rewarded to do hasn't changed. What they get paid to do hasn't changed. And when you don't change what people get rewarded to do, they're not going to change their behavior. It goes back to human nature. Yeah, you argue you can't legislate away human nature. Human beings have a knack for rootless competition and for seeing uh, or for rooting out an unfair advantage. It doesn't present a nice picture of how we've evolved. Sure, it doesn't. Like if we use the model of financial systems and then look at the human condition, it all looks painfully miserable, doesn't it? Well, I mean, I mean, okay. I mean, there you have it. Um, uh, you know, humans are, are capable of great. A good uh, uh, and acts of kindness. Uh, you know, so people are capable of great kindnesses. They're also capable of horrific behavior. And I'm sorry. That's. I mean, I'm a human too. Uh, I didn't create humans. Uh, I've created uh, my children, and uh, you know, so I've helped you know continue the race and the species. But you know, I don't know why we were created the way we were created or why we do the things we do, I don't have answers to that. But, but I will tell you that uh, Wall Street is the 
uh, ultimate embodiment of human nature. So there's an incredible number of good things that go on on Wall Street, which everybody cares prefers to forget about, and an awful lot of bad things that go on there too, just like human beings generally. And that's unfortunately what people have been focusing on for the last decade or so. So I thought it was time to you know change the channel a little bit. So some of the big guys on Wall Street, what do they say to you or when you're meeting them on your different uh, reports and so on? What do they say to you when you you say that you're arguing that, you, you know, you want to stop incentivizing greed in some way and change the bonus culture around? And I suppose reimagine and reinvigorate the financial system. What do they say to you? Because you've created this remarkable dialogue and you've put some interesting ideas out there. But I imagine you've got a lot of backlash too, have you? You know, the interesting thing is that I've not heard basically a peep from uh, uh, Wall Street types. Uh, I, I, don't, I, I can't even imagine what they think of me at this point because I, I've been so critical of, of Wall Street. And here I am turning around in this book and sort of defending certain aspects of them while also demanding that they change their incentive system and the compensation system. So uh, I had hoped to create a dialogue uh, uh, that at least would include uh, people on Wall Street. But by and large, uh, I've not heard anything. Uh, some of my friends